And its resolute focus on just one aspect of what being Marilyn Monroe must have been like. The movie simply caricatures her once again. That's Robert Levin of Newsday talking about Blonde, our feature review this week, Andrew Dominic's controversial new film. It's available right now on Netflix. Two hours and 46 minutes of Marilyn getting her ass kicked. Uh, also, and I'm gonna already tip my hand because I didn't think the movie was great. I wanna tell you about a movie that I do think is great involving Marilyn Monroe. It's one of her best films. It's called Some Like It Hot, the classic comedy from Billy Wilder. It also stars Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, AFI, top comedy of all time. Uh, that is our old movie. Also old movie, I snuck in a screening at Saturday night, 30th anniversary of The Player, Robert Altman's terrific film, Inside Show Business, Tim Robbins, Fred Ward, Peter Gallagher, Whoopi Goldberg, Vincent D'Onofrio, a lot of classic 90s actors, and a slew of movie cameos as well. And our wild card, that's right, Jeremy Lin. Remember him? Oh yeah, lighting it up for the New York Knicks. Uh, fantastic new HBO documentary about him. 38 at the Garden is coming out on HBO, I believe, October 11th. And you can uh, listen to Jeremy's interview with us. We taped this a while back, so we're glad we can we can finally run this thing. But how about the story of Jeremy Lin? Before we get into it, Cody, Lin Sanity, where were you when, right? I can't believe that it's called 38 at the Garden. Like, that's just one game. Like, to me, it was more of like a, it's an oddly named documentary. That's where I'm hmm. starting. Well, I remember when I believe in the interview, we discussed the fact that it is exactly 38 minutes. I'm like, yeah, that would make sense. But so you want a different kind of like. Maybe a, just like Lynn Sanity or like, I don't know. I just felt like the name doesn't really like. It's too specific to you. Yeah, it is. I, I got you. But it was a good you. interview and I and. I'm glad we get to finally give it to the people. Yeah, Jeremy's a good guy. First and foremost, I hope everybody is okay out there. I mean, it's crazy. Hurricane Ian, all the images. And of course, for those who don't know, Chris lives in Florida. How is it in Miami? I got the whole state's been ravaged, but I think Miami, you guys were okay. Yeah, we just got a lot of rain, but even that was like a day or two. It wasn't anything serious. The West Coast just got drilled, though. One of my mom's best friends completely, I mean, she wasn't there. Luckily, she has a house in the West Coast of Florida <sighs> and up north, so she was up north, but her house, gone. <sighs> I, I couldn't even imagine. Someone says, my entire house is obliterated. Everything yeah. I own, gone. Like, yeah, just like pictures. Like, they had everything there. Like, clothes. Like, it's just like, you don't even think about all the things in your house. But it's just, uh, when we heard that news, I mean, everything, everyone's okay. But it was just devastating. Right. And it's easy for someone to say, well, as long as you have your health, I'm like, yeah, but I want that stuff, too. Like, like you said, these are the memories of my lifetime. Gone. Yeah. It's one of those things that people in Florida, like they're kind of like numb to it and they kind of joke about like, oh, it's kind of like snow days up north. Like, oh, hurricane right. day. We're, let's let's get the booze. Let's have some fun. But if they hit you direct on, man, they are no joke. Yeah. And that's always my thought. People say, oh, you know, you have to deal with snowstorms. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, the hurricane, like this is a different level of catastrophe when it's this level. So uh, listen, I hope people are safe out there. And a couple little things before we get into the reviews. I have not seen the Jeffrey Dahmer story, Monster. This is on Netflix, but my friend Chaconi just texted me. He said it's one of the most disturbing things he's ever seen. I just have no interest, Cody, in watching a story about a cannibal. I'm not sure about you. Do people like these true crime things? I believe on Netflix it's setting records in terms of people watching it, but I just I have no interest. You? My, my brother saw it and told me that it's it's exactly what you expect. Uh, it's a lot of cannibalism. Yes, Jeffrey Dahmer maiming people. It's grotesque. I don't want to watch that stuff. And how his dad like was wanting him to be interested just in some Thing. And at some point he was into animals and their body. And it's just like his dad was kind of excited. Okay, uh, he's finally into something. And then he realized, oh, wait, maybe this isn't good. So, yeah, let me know what you think of Dahmer. I'm probably not going to see it. Uh, Cody's brother will do a, maybe Cody's brother will do a guest review for us at some point. <laughs> He'll really want a good Dahmer review. By the way, thanks to Dan Sanzik. He did a terrific job yes. last week. The OG was back. Uh, Rob Lemley, my good friend, of course, from ESPN. Lem texted because you've got to do that every week. I said, what? He said, do that. I go, no, why would I, why would I humiliate Cody every, listen, Cody was a good sport. He took it. You got a three out of 10, whatever. I'm like, yeah. I, we're not going to have a movie podcast 
And then every week belittle the producer of the podcast. <laughs> but it made sense because it was Stanzik doing it. He's over the top rope. For, I got it. I understand. But every, I'm not going to ask Cody very difficult questions about on the waterfront, right? That's, that to me doesn't seem like a good idea. It seems like if we did that every week, it would run a little dry. Like it was fun for one yes. week, but we don't need to. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's fun, though. I think I would do better. You know, you give me an, a, another quiz next week. And, you know, I think it was right. just a rough batch for me. How about this? We'll do every guest that comes on as far as like of the, of the group of us. Not like, you know, I'm not expecting Cal Penn to come on with a right. quiz. But like, you know, the Rags Times and Stan and Claire, etc. Maybe they'll do a quiz for okay. when Rags comes out. Maybe, maybe right. But it doesn't have to be movie quotes, just some sort of movie trivia. We'll go yeah. from there. Uh, other thing, Toronto Film Festival wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. It's always interesting, uh, along with my hometown bias, the fact that this really kicks off the Oscar season. Whatever film wins the Audience Award, which is the equivalent of Best Picture at the Toronto International Film Festival, inevitably, at the very least, gets nominated for Best Picture as a good chance of winning. Uh, examples include Slumdog Millionaire, The King's Speech. If you get Audience Award in Toronto, you're in the race. So, if you're curious, what won the Audience Award this year? Steven Spielberg's new film. It's called The Fablelands. It's an autobiographical film. Spielberg making it about himself. You know, he's every one of his movies, especially his early films, always deal with divorce, right? E.T. is a kid who's dealing with divorce abandonment. So Spielberg goes, screw it. I'm going to make a movie about my life. So uh, it's about his parents and their life growing up. Rave reviews in Toronto. So Spielberg's The Fablemans is coming out in late November. You hear Steven Spielberg, you know it's going to be the Oscar race, but that is vindication, the fact that it got such extraordinary reviews there. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Also, Bros, which I did not see, that's being billed. Uh, Cody and I recently did When Harry Met Sally, and someone said to me, this movie takes the formula of When Harry Met Sally, except they're both gay. And they said it's really funny and it's different because they're gay, but it, it follows this familiar rom-com. But you want to see this with a crowd in an audience. It's funny, it's raunchy, et cetera. Having said that, the movie bombed at the box office. Bro's movie struggled to connect with audiences, opening to about half of the eight to 10 million that Universal projected that it would make. So people are having lots of different theories about this. And Billy Eichner, who was the star of the movie, said quite frankly, it's a disappointing box office. Straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up. The first gay rom-com to be produced and distributed by a major studio with a wide theatrical release did not do well at the box office. Now, maybe like some movies, it will find life, you know, we used to say back in the day on DVD. Now you find it on streaming, but disappointing for Billy Eichner. And the reason I mentioned it for at least this podcast, our boy Judd Apatow, of course, Judd produced it. He did not write or direct it, he did produce it. So Bros, unfortunately, did not do well. But if you're looking for a comedy, you can definitely go check that out. All right, let's dive into the movies. We're going to talk a little blonde. Cody is almost finished it up right now because it's on Netflix, so I'm thrilled that he was able Oof, to watch it. Heavy, Although, heavy yeah, watch. A fictionalized chronicle of the inner life of Marilyn Monroe. It's written and directed by Andrew Dominic. Cody, you give me your initial. Where, where, where are you in the movie right now? You haven't finished it yet. But how I am about, it's, it's a long one. It's like 247. I'm about two hours in right now. Oof. Um, she just married Adrian Brody. <laughs> Love Adrian Brody playing Andrew <laughs> Miller. Yeah, I was like, that, that is some great casting. See, Arthur Miller, excuse me. Being Arthur Miller, death of the cells, my love. He's got the glasses, the hair, just a nerdy guy. How about my man Cannavale playing Joe DiMaggio? Fantastic. Just aggressive. Yeah, not a good guy. <laughs> so, so, so let's get into it. So the, the problem with Marilyn is it's just completely one note. And it's just relentlessly showing the abuse and the victimization of Beryl Monroe. I mean, they're trying to prove a point, though. Like, was this just her life? Well, some of it's real, some of it's fiction. But it starts out, you know, for those who are unaware, she was not born Marilyn Monroe. She was Norma Jean. So you got to start with her and Norma Jean. And I like the way it opens because you see the fact that she's being raised by a single mother. Oh. It doesn't know who her father is, looking for a father figure. Raised by a single mom is putting it lately. 
Yes, yes. Raised by a horrific single mom. We did, there's, I mean, there is an insane incident that happens early on. I don't want to spoil it for people. You can check it out. And the mom ends up leaving her because she's clearly not mentally fit to raise a child. Uh, and then we pick things up as she's now an expiring actress. We go from there. We've got some threesome stuff here with Charlie Chaplin Jr., Edward G. Robinson Jr. Of course, both those actors, famous actors of that era. But I, I looked it up. That like, There's no truth to that. So now I'm like, okay, as Chris was saying, is this fictionalized or not? I, I can't find any information. I believe she may have had an affair with Charles Chaplin Jr., but this whole concept of threesome, which is at least 20 to 25 minutes of the movie, I'm like, yeah, yeah that may be completely fictionalized. You go from there to her marriage to DiMaggio, my man Bobby Cannavale, the aforementioned, met him once, awesome, saw Glengarry Glen Ross on Broadway. He played Ricky Roma, which was Pacino's role in the movie. Actors waited outside for a picture, got a picture with Bobby Cannavale. And I said to him, I said, I, I loved you in The Station Agent, which is one of the first movies he did independent filming. He goes, thanks, man. Got a nice little picture of him. So I've, I've always had a soft spot for Cannavale. And I, I said to my wife, that's pretty good casting in his DiMaggio. She said, yeah, the nose, the size, et cetera. But again, Jody, not a great guy. You have one scene of their courtship and then bam. Now, this, this is true. He was very uh, jealous and very much around the, the movie The Seven Year Itch. If you know one thing about Marilyn Monroe, what do you know? She went by the subway sewer, the dress pops up. That is from the movie The Seven Year Itch. So that scene was shot. And there was, you know, men ogling her, fantasizing. And apparently DiMaggio went there and just saw the scene and was just horrified and just angry and seething. And when she got home that night, just beat her, like just horrible. Uh, she ends up leaving him and they get divorced. And as Chris mentioned, he's now at the scene with Adrian Brody, Arthur Miller. But I have no issue with the fact they're trying to show the pain in Marilyn Monroe. Of course, this is right. clearly a major element of her life. But I just think there's no range to the movie. It's simply one note. As I said, you're just being bashed with the fact she's being victimized and abused. And in one scene, rape, which is just horrible. It's just uh, agony after agony. Yeah, I don't want to sit through a two-hour, 46-minute movie of agony. You know, yeah. th there was more to Marilyn Monroe than just getting her ass kicked. I mean, th there was actually positive things in her life. What about Gentleman Prefer Blonde, which is a great film? What about Some Like an Hot, which we're going to talk about here in a second? You know, what about other scenes of her life? The fact that she didn't want to be taken seriously as a dramatic actress, you know, studying with Stanislavski, all these kinds of things. Like, th there's none of that in the movie. There's not even, you know, a movie about an actress, you're at least thinking you're going to get one scene of them in the movie, right? They're shooting something. But there's not even too many scenes of that. It's just, it's literally one note. And I think that's why it's so frustrating. You are not at the part, and I don't want to blow this for people. But I, that is a pun on words. A scene with JFK. It, it is why the film got an NC-17. If you're old enough like me, you remember there was an X ray. So an X movie was like, oh my God, it's X. You can't see that anywhere. It's like, you know, hey, PG-13's parental guidance, R is rated R, obviously under the age of 17. X was like, oh my God, if you see this, you might as well be thrown out of the country. After X, we had NC-17. Again, nobody allowed over the age of 17. I remember the first NC-17 film I saw was Bad Lieutenant, which I love. The great Harvey Keitel, Abel Ferrara film. Scorsese put it in his top 10 films of the 90s. Love that movie. So for Blonde, when I checked the rating, and again, it's on Netflix, all of you are going to see this, but I checked the rest, NC-17, wow. Okay, so it's Marilyn Monroe's story, Eddie Armas, a lot of topless scenes. Okay, got it. But the scene involving her and JFK, I don't know if it's a fictionalization. Is it where he's laying in bed with, on the phone? No. Okay, because I'm oh, watching. Yes, yes, I'm yes. Watching. No, 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 yes, that's exactly what you're talking I'm about. I'm literally, yes, yes. I'm on okay, mute. Well, I'm literally looking at that on mute right now well, as you talk. We're going to get Cody's thoughts to this, which is just going to be jarring, to say the least. It is, um, I would say the scene is gratuitous. I would say it's a little offensive. It's definitely unnecessary. It is memorable, I think, for all the wrong reasons. As far as the performance itself, you're thinking, okay, you're talking about the movie. You don't really care for me. What about Andy Armas? Like with Elvis, you trash Tom Hanks. We see the Austin Butler was spectacular. How about Anna Diarmas? And I would say she's fine. I don't think she's extraordinary. I think she does a very good job with the voice. Matter of fact, I believe she 
you know, did really intense vocal training to get that Marilyn Monroe breathy voice. Happy birthday, Mr. President. I think she did a pretty good job of that. Okay. But yeah, Cody's not the same. Yeah. But as, as, as far as her, her actual acting, though, I, again, I, I just think it's just showing the tragic figure of Marilyn. doesn't have all the different shades for it. Plus, how about this? Kim Kardashian recently fit into Marilyn Monroe's dress. We all know this story, yes, if you follow pop culture. And, you know, Kim's a little thicker, but she had to, like, lose a little weight to squeeze into the dress. Marilyn Monroe, back in the day, was a thick, voluptuous woman. When watching this film, the end of the armist is pretty thin. This is like a frail version of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, as you know, her like pinup doll, right? That's why Anna Nicole Smith in the 90s, latter-day Marilyn Monroe. Like, that's what we're looking for. So she doesn't really physically look the part. Um, there is some good videos here. If you look online, you know, reels, TikToks, et cetera, you see Anna Diarmas in the makeup chair for hours. She gives it her all. I give her credit. It's probably a tough role. Cuban-born actress playing Marilyn Monroe, but I think there's been better Marilyn Monroes. Uh, Michelle Williams comes to mind, My Week with Marilyn, if you want to see that film instead. Ultimately, though, I'm going to give it one and a half Maple Leafs. It's just too tough a watch. I just can't redeem a film like this. Chris it's, has not said a word right now because he's still watching the same I'm just... You know, I'm looking at you to react to me. You're still watching the same It's gratuitous. Like, it's like, why? Like, yeah. I, I get like them trying to... It just seems unnecessary, the lengths of this scene. Like, it's, yeah, it's it just seems going. a bit much. Adam Graham of Detroit News, a horrifying indictment of fame, men, and the American dream itself. It's a tough watch, and it's equally tough to shake. And when Lee Ma says, it's two hours and 46 minutes of agony after agony. Yeah. The other part of this is Andrew Dominic now finds himself in some controversy. The writer and director of the film, who, by the way, I did really like his previous film that he made. He's a New Zealand Aussie film director. He did Killing Me Softly, the crime movie, which I really liked with Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini, and Richard Jenkins. Pretty good movie showing how the mob was dealing with their own crisis, which was uh, the recession. It's really, really actually well done. Uh, But he is being criticized now because, I mean, he was in an article and basically... He, he kind of referred to Marilyn Monroe as a whore. I, I, again, you can look up the article itself, but he was being interviewed, I believe, for a British magazine. And he was saying, I think Marilyn Monroe today, you know, nobody cares about her movies. And the person interviewing him said, no, actually, I, I watched some of them for blondes. My friends, I like, he's like, yeah, he goes, well, to me, they're just well-dressed whores. I mean, it's just, just so and that was jarring because you go, wow, the guy who made the film doesn't even respect the subject itself. For him to refer to Marilyn Monroe as a well-dressed whore, clearly he did not have much empathy making this movie, and he was just objectifying her the way that all these men in her life did. Maybe that's going a little deep, but uh, that's kind of the way it's coming out right now. And by the way, this goes back to our original point, which I know Tom Montaletto is going to agree with. We were talking about standing ovations, remember, at film festivals? This got like a 12-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. And what is it? It's a turkey. It's a dud. Rotten Tomatoes, 50%. Nobody likes the movie. I think that the fan reaction is even worse. It's like 35%. So don't believe the next time you read, hey, there was a 15-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. No, it does not mean it's going to be one of the best films of the year. It's definitely polarizing. It's definitely controversial. I'm sure some will appreciate the fact. It's certainly stylish, and it has some artistic moments. Yeah. I, like, I like the directing. It feels I, like the 50s. No question. Like the period details, excellent. Um, you know, the way he uses slow motion at times and the photography, there's, there's definitely a lot of craft to the film, which I can appreciate. And it's, it's artistic, but as far as a film, it just doesn't work. How about the, I'll speak of gratuitous and just bizarre, the scenes of the fetus, like with the abortion and stuff, yeah. you know, like close up of a birth canal. Like that's just a bit much. Yeah. Uh, it's being slammed by some as anti-abortion propaganda. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into those territories, but ultimately a blonde is not the film we were looking for. Chris is now finished watching the scene it with is. a JFK. <laughs> it's a ridiculous scene. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Uh, that is blonde. I'm giving it one and a half. Maple Leafs. Next up. Some like it hot. 
This is the Marilyn Monroe we should all know and love. After two male musicians witness a mob hit, they flee the state in an all-female band disguised as women, but further complications set in. It is written and directed by one of my all-time favorites and one of the all-time greats, Billy Wilder. Mike Ryan, a huge fan of Sunset Boulevard. Billy Wilder made Sunset Boulevard. In addition to this film, he's an absolute legend. And this movie is so well done. And in fact, I believe Ben Mankiewicz, my buddy from TCM, he made the joke. If you look at the AFI, American Film Institute, top comedies of all time, they have in their top 100, not only some like it hot, but they also have Tootsie. I think it might be in the top 10 because clearly they like their cross-dressing comedies. Like surprisingly, they don't have Mrs. Doubtfire in there as well. But back in 2001, AFI selected Some Like It Hot as the number one comedy film of all time. It was 22nd on AFI's 2007 list. Uh, that's 100 years, 100 movies. That's not just comedy. This is greatest movies of all time. Wow. They got it 22. Greatest comedies, number one. So if you like your comedies, Some Like It Hot is a great one to watch. Um, as I said, I don't need to give you too much of the story. It is literally that. Two male musicians, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. Curtis is always kind of brash and, and bossy. Jack Lemmon's always kind of a nebbish and muttering and stuttering his way through. They, they're witness a mob and so they... They dress up as women. And then, of course, you get all the double entendres from there. And Marilyn Monroe is terrific in the movie. You know, she is breathy Marilyn Monroe, but she's more than just eye candy. Although her character's name is Sugarcane Kowalchuk. She's funny. She's charming. She's got great comic timing. So rather than watch Blonde, I recommend you all watch Some Like It Hot. George Raft, of course, great character actor. And the ending is very famous. Uh, without spoiling it, as you haven't seen Some Like It Hot, Jack Lemmon is riding in the boat with the, the guy who's fallen in love with him. And he's saying, you know, listen, I'm just not right for you. And he's like, no, it'll work, it'll work. He's like, well, I can't cook. He's like, we'll order out. He's like, I can't do this. And he rips up the wig off. He goes, I'm a man. And he says, oh, nobody's perfect. One of the great, one of the great ending lines of all time. Always, nobody's perfect. Go check out Some Like It Hot, Me Beliefs. I don't know where it's available. I was looking to watch it again on streaming somewhere, but I couldn't find it. All right, now to the player. Tim Robbins plays a movie executive, and he's being stalked, haunted, tortured, harassed, something, by a writer who he rejected his script, and he's sending him postcards threatening him and the movie starts out just a gorgeous tracking shot i mean it is i have to look up how long the shot was but it was really impressive by always showing off his technical skill and you know part of the elements that made always such a famous filmmaker not just those tracking shots but also overlapping dialogue and at times maybe it looks like he's showing off but he's such a gifted filmmaker it really kind of wraps into the movie so it starts out on a hollywood lot and you see robbins in there and the, the shot through the cameras through the blinds and you see a writer pitching him the whole concept of the pitch is hilarious I remember when i was in college we had to like pitch you know, pitch writers on ideas. You literally go in a room and it's like, all right, pitch me your movie in 25 words or less. And one of the funniest parts of the movie is that whenever they're looking for an actress, it's always Julia Roberts. Like, okay, it's this monster, but we'll get like a girl, maybe like a Julia Roberts. Like, yeah, we'll get Julia Roberts. Okay, no problem. But imagine that, that you can create a script. You can take months for a script. It can be original, but all that it is built upon is how well you do in that pitch. When you go into that meeting, Chris Cody, you have this amazing script. It took you a year to write it. And I go, I got you a meeting with the head of Paramount. This is what Griffin Dunn's character is like. Excuse me, Tim Robbins' character is like. You walk in there. I'm like, all right, you got five minutes. And he's going to say to you, Chris, pitch me your movie in 25 words or less. How much stress and pressure would you be under? I mean, I can kind of relate to that in that like when we pitch ideas, it's kind of like you, you've been working on this thing. You got to sell it. So like I can kind of relate to that, but it's yeah. it's even more pressure than what I'm used to. It's <laughs> Pretty wild. Yeah. The stakes are pretty high, right? If the, the, the idea gets rejected, all right, Cody, life moves on. Well, what else do you got? Here, it's a movie or that's yeah. it. You had multiple pitches ready Been to go. working on, they probably put like months and months of work into the movie and that before they even pitch it. Right. And you can just tell the producer's face. Tim Robbins is like, mm, I don't really see it. Like, damn it. I can't put the There's nothing worse than when you work on something and you feel good about an idea and Mike Ryan's just like, nah, don't like it. 
Exactly. It just flippantly dismisses you. So uh, I think that's why just the, the context of the player is such a funny idea. But what ends up happening is this. He doesn't know who is sending these posters, but he thinks he has an idea. He thinks it's Vincent D'Onofrio's character, who's a writer whose script he rejected. So he calls his house, ends up talking to his girlfriend. They have a little conversation. By the way, this is incredible. He asks her where she's from. She says, Iceland. And I'm like, oh, my God, Rogowski, this is going to fit perfectly. I'm coming <laughs> guest for next time. And he actually says to her the nugget which Chris Cody dropped, which is it's a lot more green than you think. And he goes, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, Greenland actually has a lot of ice. And I'm like, wow. I know Chris Cody has not watched the player, but 30 years ago, there was a conversation in a film about Greenland versus Iceland, bringing it all back full circle. Unbelievable. Anyways, he goes to the movies and he, uh, he goes to watch Bicycle Thieves, which is, of course, the incredible Victoria De Sica film, which I should do for an old movie sometime. He goes to the movie. He kind of bumps into Vincent D'Onofrio after and says, oh, yeah, I know you. You're David Kahana. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I rejected one of your scripts. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you did. Sure, whatever. You can tell Kahana's kind of eyeing him, but Robbins wants to make it up to him because he thinks he's the one sending him these threatening postcards. So they go out for a drink, a little jazz bar, whatever. While there, Kahana has a few drinks, insults him, pisses him off, whatever. They end up leaving, going back to their cars. One thing leads to another. He kind of pushes Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins falls over, and then he ends up bashing David Kahana. Ends up drowning. He kills the guy. This is a movie studio executive, 30 minutes of the movie, killing a writer. And then how is he going to get away with it? And the story kind of unfolds from there. Again, terrific cameos. Burt Reynolds, excellent cameo. Nick Nolte is great. Um, Alvin is satirizing the entire Hollywood film industry. He's not just making fun of American males or white American males getting away with murder and getting away with malfeasance, but also the movie industry. Great director Sidney Pollock shows up in the film as well. The, the guys who are really resonant, though, are uh, Richard E. Grant and Dean Stockwell. At one point, they are pitching Tim Robbins, just two terrific character actors. This really feels like a time capsule from the 90s. Remember seeing these guys, you know, Quantum Leap and stuff like that. Richard E. Grant, so good and with Nail and I. Lyle Lovett shows up. Remember him? Julia Roberts' ex-husband. He plays a detective. And one of the funniest scenes in the movie is Whoopi Goldberg. Well, I have to admit, I, I'm probably not the biggest Whoopi Goldberg fan. Like when I saw her, I'm like, oh, Whoopi Goldberg's in this? But she is really funny in the movie. Her and Lyle Lovett are the two detectives. And they bring in Tim Robbins for questioning. They do a whole bit where she's looking for her tampons. And the other girl says, well, it's not mine. She goes, you have a jumbo-sized tampon. They end, up, they end up putting Tim Robbins under such scrutiny and stress. And they start laughing in his face because Lyle Lovett's character went up seeing that... Um, this, that movie freaks Todd Browning's movie. And he starts changing it. One of us, one of us, one of us. So and what ends up happening is this. How is Tim Robbins, movie executive, going to get away with murder? Again, you should watch the film and check it out. It is called The Player. Where did I watch it? Of course I watched it on HBO Max on the TCM Hub. A really funny movie from the 1990s. It was a real comeback for Robert Altman. It was, you know, he was a great director of the 70s. Made films like Nashville and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Went away for a while. Came back that way. I remember Roger Ebert loved it. Critics loved it. Really, really did well. Some reviews for you. Jonathan Rosenbaum. It's supposed to be scathing, but the pleasure it affords is like what you get from watching the Oscars. Celebrity spotting and in-jokes. Definitely a lot of celebrity spotting. David Anson of Newsweek. Hilarious and deadly. This may be Altman's most completely realized film since his glory days in the 70s. And Peter Travers of Rolling Stone. Altman sticks it to every target himself and us included with a wicked zest that hurts only when you laugh. Again, I think if you love stories about Hollywood, inside Hollywood, inside show business, you'll definitely appreciate the player. At one point, his nemesis, Peter Gallagher, shows up and he's talking about how you know writers are so insignificant. And one of the more memorable quotes in the movie, Tim Robbins says, yeah, we're thinking of a way of just eliminating the writer from the creative process. If we can get rid of the actors and directors, we've really got something because they're the ones that are real pain in the ass. The player, make sure you check it out once again, streaming now. So to recap, Blonde, One and a Half Maple Leafs, Some Like It Hot, Four Maple Leafs, 
and I'll give the player three and a half Maple Leafs. It's written by Michael Tolkien, by the way. He wrote the screenplay based on his book. If you think that name kind of sounds familiar, uh, that's because he did The Offer, which was a show we recently reviewed starring Miles Teller. That, of course, was the story of The Godfather. Your cop for now. How about we get to our special guest, Jeremy Lin? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Thirty-eight at the Garden, a fantastic documentary about Jeremy Lin and when Lin Sandy took over all of us. That's going to be available on HBO October 11th. Uh, I watched it. It's fantastic. Conveniently, it is 38 minutes. Uh, it's got great name recognition. Trayvon Free, of course, has done a great job when it comes to making Academy Award nominated docs and such and sports material. So it's a real pleasure to bring in Jeremy Lin, a player I've long admired. and It was fun to go back and watch when Lin Sandy took over. Jeremy, good to see you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on. I can't wait to chat. So when I worked at ESPN, there's only two seasons at ESPN. It is football season and non-football season. And when you had your run, people were so happy. All these producers and executives are high-fiving, going, oh, my God, thank God. This Lynn Sanity is giving us great content here. It's leading sports center. It's on first take. It's on every single show. And it was amazing because it, it really came at a perfect time. I mean, it's crazy to think now it was February of 12, so it was 10 years ago. Um, but it was really a, a rocket moment. I think for so many of us, we were able to kind of feel that attachment. When you look back at it now, and this happens sometimes at anniversaries, does it feel like it was 10 years ago? Does it feel like it was 10 minutes ago? Does it feel 20 years ago? How does it feel for you? It feels more 20 years ago. <laughs> I just feel like because a basketball career, especially mine, having played nine years in the NBA with eight different teams and then playing you know, one season in the G League and two in China. Like the number of experiences, the number of times I've moved, like I've moved like 12 times in the last 12 years, basically. Um, and, and so 
it really feels like a long, long time ago. Um, and when I look back on the photos, even when I see my face in, in the highlights, I'm just like, oh man, I'm like, I have like a little bit of like, it, like it almost, it looks like, you know, like baby fat, you know, to me, but it's like, man, I look so different. Like, you know, I, that, I was so young and I was so much heavier. Yeah, it's funny. When you look at yourself like that, I, I know what you mean. You know, God, I look terrible. But that, I think we're always our own worst critics. I, <laughs> I think my favorite uh, takeaway from it was the fact that Kobe talked smack about you. I, I maybe forgot that, but but you had had a couple of good games. And obviously, it was a sensation. It was building. And then Kobe was very dismissive. And you're like, yeah, I, I took note of that. Like, I, I used it as fuel. A guy who always, and Kobe Bryant took things personally, the fact you kind of did it to him, I thought that was an amazing anecdote. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, I'm really good at taking things personally. <laughs> Just, you know, you know, uh, I always had a chip on my shoulder, you know, growing up. Asian and trying to play basketball, I just ended up having this chip on my shoulder mentality. And so I was good at taking things personal. But at the end of the day, it's because I grew up in Northern California and we were just raised to hate Southern California, everything (laughs) with the Lakers being at the top of that list. You know, I grew up a Warriors fan um, watching Kobe continually dominate the the Warriors. (laughs) So, you know, this was a chance for payback. What's the best example of payback that you had in a game where you, someone was giving it to you, maybe dismissing you early on, and you were able to, like, were you talking smack at all? Or, like, how would you give it back to a, a guy? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really talk all that often. Actually, I, I pretty much never talk. Like, never. I, I, I don't really say anything. But I would say... There's got to be that man, one time. That one time the guy just was... There was one... Oh, there's a couple games, but one game where... The fan was just relentless, like oh, relentless a fan. on me. Yeah, a fan in 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 the Toronto game. Uh. And I remember after, I mean, he was just on me. He like he was like, "You're a flash in the pan, you know. You, you're you're a, a one week wonder, like all this stuff, like going off, going off. We were losing in Toronto. Finally, I get to and one. It's it's tied up and I hit the game winner. And I remember I wanted to go find him to say something to him. But then at the end of the game, it ended up, you know, there was just hysteria. And so I I couldn't find him, but I was like, man, I can go back. I can go back. After I hit that shot, after I hit that shot, I would just turn right over to him, walk right up to him and and just stood there and just been like that. But I was just so hyped about the shot. I completely zoned out for a quick second. And then like, after that, it was just like, my teammates were everywhere. Um, And so that's one that comes to mind. Well, you, you've got to have that aspect. As you said before that Kobe game, like I'm just going to ball out to that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be Jeremy Lin. Like I'm going to be super aggressive. I got, and you had great confidence in yourself. And I, I loved Hassan Minaj because when people think Asian, you know, they often just think Chinese, Japanese, Korean. But of course, Indians, Pakistanis are also part of Asia. And as Hassan Minaj says, if you say Asian, the words that come up are like submissive, you know, obedient, responsible. He's like, those are great attributes if you're a middle manager. Like middle manager, that guy's great. He's like, yeah. but to be an athlete, that's what we're looking for. That You never think of the words like leadership and aggressiveness and hyped up and passionate and fiery. Like those are not the words that would come naturally to people of our ancestry. So I thought that was really important and a good point that he made. Did you, I mean, you must have always grown up with that sense that these are these Asian stereotypes. They think they're good stereotypes, right? This is the, the good minority, the model minority. But it adds up being very negative towards what you want to be as an athlete. I mean, completely. And and the way that Hassan said it was just so eloquent. I, I swear to you, after watching it, one of the first things that I said, 
And it, because the first time I watched it was at Tribeca. One of the first things I said to the producing team right after watching it, I was like, you guys need to put more of the comedians and the other interviews and less of me because they were just that good. Like Ronnie, Lisa Ling, like all of them were so good. And I was just like, everything I felt they were able to articulate, but way better because that's what they do. Like they're journalists, they're comedians. Like they just have a way with being able to communicate and the way that Hassan communicated that as well as the wave off. I mean, it was just, it was so powerful. And he was just like, I'll send you the reports, Bob. You know, just like, I mean, just making it so funny. Yeah, that's what those comedians all did. You're right. They were all being honest and smart, but it was also funny as well, which is obviously the mark of a comedian. What's the most emotion that you got when you're watching it back at Tribeca? 38 minutes, 38 at the guard. What point did you go, man, that was, you get a little choked up, baby. Um, definitely when I heard the little girl talk and when she was talking about how she didn't want people to see her skin color, that really got me. And, and I'm not even a parent, right? Like, But I have a niece and a nephew who I, you know, absolutely adore both of them and when i think about when i see her I, I see my niece and nephew and when i see these videos of the elderly being attacked lit on fire stabbed beaten killed like i think of my parents right and so when you're able to draw it to somebody that you love and know so well it, it takes a whole different and, and I, I i almost i've never cried i've never cried watching anything a show no show no t movie nothing but I, I was very very close to tearing up when i when i saw her you know at such a young age basically say what i felt for a large majority of my life but she felt it already at like you know what how old could she have been three four like yeah. i mean that that's that's not what we want for the next generation yeah, it was definitely very, very powerful. Uh, I love the Knicks teammates, Iman Shumpert and Tyson Chandler in particular. Chandler tells a great story when you first get signed. You see him, you're like, hey, I'm Jeremy. He's like, hey, what's up, Jeremy? How you doing? And he's like, I, I can't believe why they're, they're like fans back here. Like, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> and, then, and then later, he saw you on the bus. And you're like, hey, he's like, hey, Jeremy, what's up, man? Good to see you. He's like, all right, like, here we go. And then when Dan Tony was like, I'm thinking of putting Lynn in, like, really? You're going to put Jay Lynn in the game? Really? No, that guy, Jeremy, that I met? That was really funny and really honest stuff there from Tyson Chandler. I mean, it's just so funny because, you know, I, I never, obviously, he would never say this to me. And, you know, uh, during, during the fact, I mean, I just, the fact he has no problem saying it to me but during the fact and when we first it was just like i mean the way that him and shump just talked about it was just so funny um just to hear their perspective because you know when you're in the middle of it and you're going through such a rough season and you're getting booed every home game like no one has time to be funny everyone's just like back against the wall but now that we can actually look back on it i'm just like you know, he's like, oh, no, I love Jeremy. He's a good guy. But, you know, we're out here trying to win. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Screw you, Tyson. <laughs> that was a pretty funny line, too. Um, I didn't see in the documentary any interactions with Spike Lee. But you must have talked to Spike at some point. What was Spike like when he saw you lighting it up? What, what did he say to you? Yeah, no, um, you know, Spike was just so over the top supportive um he actually chartered like a, a private flight and, and hooked it up and everything i think on the way to or on the way on the way back from all-star weekend i mean he was just he just had a different energy i mean he was texting with my high school coach like non-stop like bugging my high school coach 
my, my high school coach is like, I cannot believe this. Spike Lee won't stop texting me, but it's just like, when can I get this Palo Alto Vikings Jeremy Lin jersey? I need it for the next game. I need it for the next game. And, and my high school coach, I still talk to him about it. Now he's just like, I'm trying to tell Spike, like, I'll get it to you. Relax. Like, I'm, I got your jersey. Um, and so just how enthusiastic he was, it was incredible. Yeah, Spike is definitely uh, a super fan for good reason. Last one for me, since I'm from Toronto, and you know, Toronto is a great city, multicultural city, big Asian community. And of course, you won the title for the Raptors back in 2019. I like the fact that was a postscript at the end, just as Jeremy was part of that team. Tell me about that experience. I mean, I will never forget Kawhi Leonard's shot and just an epic victory. It was just such a miraculous run. And I will never forget that parade. To see 2 million people, like, you, it's like, oh, 2 million people were there. It's like, that must have been a lot of people. No, like it, it, you had to have been there. That's the only way you would understood what it's like to see two million people in person. You're looking at every street, everywhere you go for 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 the entire three and a half hour ride that we had. Everywhere we went, if you looked all the way as far as you could into the horizon, all you could see was small little heads poking up. It was insane. People were literally sitting on top of stoplights. We would go by like you know skyscrapers in downtown Toronto, and every single window would be like people looking out. You know, it was absolutely incredible it certainly was and it was obviously a title that torontonians and all canadians are happy to see and thrilled that you're able to be a part of it 38 at the garden it premieres on hbo october 11th a fantastic look back at lynn sanity last thought thank god your mom lets you give up the piano that was the big dilemma for me dad okay you want to play basketball mom gonna play piano the moment she said jay lynn it's okay no more piano that's when your life changed right oh man yeah it was just i mean i was so happy but part of me was like mom i've been telling you this for like four years now you guys just, you guys <laughs> drop the piano thing <laughs> thanks Jeremy take care thank you all right have a good one All right, Cody is uh, almost finished watching Blonde, so we'll get his thoughts in the final 40 minutes next week. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same as what he thought this week. How about Jeremy Lin, though? Good guy, right? Good story. I mean, Jeremy Lin is just a, a classic sports guy. He's a guy that, like, when you're when I'm, like, in my 60s, I'm going to think back. Remember Jeremy Lin? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, like, he's he was a time. Yeah, he definitely had a moment. People say he's having a moment. Jeremy Lin definitely had a moment, and thanks to him for sharing that moment with us. Very, very cool story there. All right, uh, thanks so much for checking out Cinephile. I'm not really sure what we're doing next week. I think we're going to have my boy Rags back, though. A little Rags time. Uh, he's going to come back from Iceland. He's going to give us stories from Iceland. A lot of cool stories there. We'll talk about some old classic movies, favorites of ours. So look forward to that coming up here in Cinefile. As always, please go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, yes. rate, and review. Tell us what you like with the podcast. Tell us what you want to change. I mean, Juju wants more social engagement. Give us some more social engagement. At Cinefile Pod, at Adnan Esberg. Love to put a reels out this week. So let's, let us know what you like, what you don't like. We are here to please all of you. So let's make it happen. Thank you for supporting Cinephile, and I will see you at the movies.